Welcome to Winning Is Not Everything, where we bring sanity back to youth sports by focusing on character development, effort, and sportsmanship, not rankings and trophies. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, former NFL reporter, children's book author, and youth sports coach. Jordan Palmer wrestled with a lot of challenges and frustrations growing up in the shadow of his older brother, Carson. And who could blame him? But having a front row insider's perspective to the unfolding of a potentially Hall of Fame career did have some benefits. Stick around to find out what I mean. Team Snap is the presenting sponsor of the Winning Is Not Everything podcast. The spring sports season is just around the corner. Are you ready? Whether you're a coach running your team with the TeamSnap app, an admin using TeamSnap for business to manage your club or league, or a marketer looking to make noise in the youth sports space, TeamSnap has got you covered. Visit TeamSnap.com or download the TeamSnap app from your app store for more information. Carson Palmer started to generate buzz in California in the seventh grade, and why not? He had a remarkable blend of size and arm strength. Reportedly, members of the Santa Margarita High School varsity team would pause practice and watch Carson lead the ninth grade team when he was a freshman. Many major colleges wanted him, and Carson headed to the University of Southern California, where he won lots of awards, including the Heisman, and he was selected first overall in the 2003 NFL Draft. As a pro, Carson was a three-time Pro Bowl selection, and he retired 12th all-time in both passing yards and passing touchdowns, respectively. Jordan Palmer's playing career was very good, though not as illustrious as his older brothers. But after Jordan retired, he parlayed all his experience, both personal and professional, to train up the next generation of NFL quarterbacks. In part two, Jordan Palmer shares some of the key opportunities in building up his coaching business, as well as his approach to developing the athleticism in his three boys. Let's jump in. As a father now, what are your priorities for your boys' sports experience? So my boys are eight, five, and one. And my eight-year-old is playing, he's really into flag football, he's a lefty. Um, he's middle of the pack on his team, was the worst kid, moved his way up to middle of the pack. My five-year-old doesn't really care about team sports. He played flag football this year in the kindergarten league. He's in junior kindergarten for the first time. I coach both teams, but we're, we're trying to have fun. The huddle, you know, the line of scrimmage is this invisible line. Everyone put your arms out. It's been really cool to coach that level because... You don't realize how complicated this game is until you have to explain it. And my friends that are coaching their daughters, it's the same thing, you know? Right. So I've got a very specific goal for them in sports to figure out what they love to do and have a chance to have consistent success at. And then I, we're going to play a bunch of different sports until they figure that out. So my eight-year-old, he has been doing jujitsu. Now he gets bored with it, but I think jujitsu, one, the Brazilian culture is probably my favorite culture. It is the most selfless discipline. It's not like they'll give you the shirt off their back. It's like, if you don't have a shirt and I have mine, well, I don't need mine. You need mine more than I do, right? And so it is just, I spent a lot of time on the Hawaiian Islands and I've got a lot of Brazilian friends, done a lot of stuff in the surf industry. So I love that culture. I love the coach there too. Rafa's the man at West Coast Jiu-Jitsu. But the discipline, the accountability, and it's boys and girls. I think it's also healthy for boys and girls to be wrestling as they're growing up, mm -hmm. respecting boundaries and as their bodies change and all that stuff. I think it's really healthy because it's kind of like 50% girls. But I love Jiu-Jitsu because I think the best way for kids to develop strength is to hang from things. 
pull things and squeeze things. It's not to press or push. Their bodies are not developed to be able to support a load management, I don't believe, based off my studies. So I don't want them pushing or pressing. I want them squeezing, pulling, and holding. And so jujitsu is that. You might be trying to get a kid, you know, in an arm bar for two and a half minutes and you're just squeezing the whole time. And that's a really good thing for a five-year-old to do, I believe. And the toughness, you know, sometimes you actually get elbowed in the face and, you know, and they don't stop. Well, here we go. So they've done jujitsu. I want them to develop strength there and discipline. We skateboard a lot. My boys love it. We sometimes go to one skate park so they can scooter around. My eight-year-old's pretty good little skater. He's dropping in on half pipes and he's got a little style to him. And my five-year-old just sends it. He's just fearless. And so they're growing and my one-year-old is, or before he could walk, he was pushing on the scooter. So that's a great way to learn balance and to understand your body. And then what I do for a living is I say I'm in the leverage and tension business. I help people utilize leverage to load lines of tension, whether they want to move quicker or they want to throw it farther. And so I think that's a great way to learn leverage is on a skateboard. And then uh, they surf as well. And then we've done flag. We've done basketball. I didn't do uh, seasons. I didn't want my older boy to learn how to play basketball in a league where all the kids run to the ball and they think basketball is run and try and get the ball and then try and shoot it and then try and get open and then yell for the kid to pass it to you. So I found a development program. If you live in Orange County, Magic Elite is the best. It's two days a week and there's stations, dribbling station, passing station. This week we're working on bounce passes, jump stop station, and you learn fundamentals. And it was funny story. Last year we had been doing it for five months and my son was loving it. And I turned on a Laker game on TV and he goes, wait, is that basketball? I go, yeah. And he's like, well, how many guys are playing? I go, what's five on five? And I'm like, oh my God, he's never seen basketball before. He only knows (laughs) this. So I look up high school. I Google my alma mater down the street and I go like high school basketball. I go, oh, they just lost in the playoffs. So I took him to a Laker game because I'm like, he's been playing for five months. He has no context of this sport. Like who's the referee? What's the referee for? (laughs) And so I... And maybe I missed on it or whatever. It was just a funny story, but you know, de- funny. developing at that age. And so we're going to play soccer coming up here soon. And then right now I just started with my five or six buddies and I'd recommend any parents who are listening to this, not even dads, moms or dads. We do sports night. So I got hurdles and cones and tennis balls and wiffle balls and golf and baseball. We set up at a park. I get some music going. I invite everybody on a text thread. Don't need to, don't even tell me if you're coming. We'll be there. Yeah. And we go one night a week and we just do stations and the kids change direction and they land and they stop and they sprint and they throw and they catch. And it's not, it's not practice. It's just making, getting better at sports fun and trying to at an early age connect them to, well, I practiced, I I wasn't good at this. And then I practiced it and now I'm good at it. Repeat. Jordan, you played in the NFL, and then at what point did you think about what life was going to be like after your playing career ended? Because that's the reality for all of us, right? Any athlete, you start playing, you kind of alluded to it with your brother, showed something in third grade and, and then stopped when he was 37 years old. I mean, that's very unusual, obviously. What did you think about life after football? I never really did. I never had a single NFL season where I knew I was going to make the team that year. So you can sign a four-year contract, that's fine. But like they, they can catch you and you walk away and you don't make anything. So the contract, they're not like kind of one-sided. It's literally one-sided. And I wasn't a player who was getting guarantees. I actually started a business my rookie year. And I knew I wasn't mm-hmm. going to be able to go to business school. And I had two friends from high school that had had a lot of success, never went to college, built their businesses right away. And they told me they want to start a business with me. And they said, apps, this is in 2007, apps are going to be the next thing. And they took them forever for me to, them to explain to me what the heck an app was. And uh, so we started making apps for celebrities. 
So I was coaching on the side. The whole time that I just said that I was coaching, when I was a Chicago Bear is the first time I trained anybody for the draft. An agent hit me up, said, will you train this Blake Bortles kid out of UCF? And I'd never heard of him because when you're playing in the NFL, you're not watching college. <laughs> and he went third overall. And I go, well, I'm at least doing this Q1. This is super fun. So this will be my 16th year draft training. And so for me, you know, I'm sure it's behind me. I feel like I'm a chapter out of this book. Yeah, okay. you've probably you read are. this. Absolutely. Because yeah, I didn't, book. so it's outliers, Malcolm Gladwell, and he, and he goes through some examples of people where they weren't necessarily the smartest person in the world at that. But this led to their access, and then their dad happened to be this, and then they lived in an area, and then their friend moved into town, and whatever it is, and then poof, there's Bill Gates. So for me, I didn't choose my brother. I didn't earn him, but he's still to this day, I think the best example of how to do it. And I've had several guys go number one. I've had, I think, 15 first row picks that I've worked with. Mm -hmm. He's still the best example, bias aside, mm -hmm. 360, yeah. all of it. And then my coach that I played for in high school, he's really the first guy to charge money for quarterback lessons. Both of his sons played. He's, he was super relevant. And I grew up catching balls. He was doing draft training for NFL players. I caught balls for Drew Brees when I was a sophomore in high school just at lunch and then skipping six period. And yep. so I didn't choose that guy technically. So for him to be that, and then he created this concept called the elite 11, which this will be year 26 of the top high school quarterbacks in the country all coming here. Well, I'm the only person that's been to all 26, even the owner. And so these things happened along the way. And then my sophomore year coach gets fired, new coach comes in. Well, it just happened to be Mike Price who kind of created the spread offense. So uh, and it was just like these series of events that continued to happen where, yes, I worked hard. Yes, I was focused and I was disciplined. But so was everybody else. I wasn't more mm -hmm. focused. I didn't outwork everybody as if that's a thing. Like the series of these events continued to happen. And that agent happened to call me about Blake because I knew that guy through a charity mm -hmm. I worked with. You know what I mean? It was just this like, if you yeah. think about the doors and my career, like yeah, earlier on, you said, well, you've got to be really good to be able to do I'll actually argue that I wasn't. I knew when I was on an NFL roster, I knew guys that were not on teams that I knew that they were better than me. But that coach knew that I wow. could help with this and brought me in. And then I was given an opportunity and I played well. And so then I kept my job. But it was just kind of that for five more years. And so I feel like I'm a chapter on outliers where certainly work hard, feel like I'm an intelligent person and all that. But, but I don't think I outworked everybody and outsmarted or game the system to get where I'm at. There was a lot of blessings along the way of people that came into my life that I did not earn or choose. Well, again, I covered the league for a long time, and you, there's always the speculation of this starting quarterback is no longer starting, and nobody wants him as a backup. And, and I think that people who don't understand the inner workings of the NFL understand that a backup quarterback has to have a certain mentality, you know, and it's very clear that your humility is very appealing for probably why you were a backup for so many years. You know, yes, there were probably players that were far more talented than you, but were they going to be disruptive? You know, were they going to be talking craziness about, you know, supplanting the starting second year quarterback that was a former number one pick, right? Those are the kind of things that teams don't want to put up with. And so I, I definitely think humility is a strength of yours for sure. Now, you have, with your coaching business, I mean, my goodness, the list of quarterbacks, it, it frankly, of the current list of quarterbacks, it's almost like who haven't you worked with, right? Because you've, you've been able to work with Mahomes and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. Why do you think these folks keep coming to work with you? You know, they're clearly, you're excellent at what you do. People aren't just coming because of your last name. Why do you think all these folks keep coming to work with you year over year? 
Well, it's similar to Outliers. I mean, some of those names, I didn't earn the opportunity to work with that guy. I mean, Coach Orgeron at LSU, I knew him because he was the D-line coach at USC when my brother was there. So that means I was like 16, you know, zits and braces. And I ran into him at the green room for the NFL draft when I was there with Sam Darnold and Josh Allen. And he said, I got this kid transferred from Ohio State. I want to send him to you. Great. I didn't know who he was. Nobody did. He was just going into his senior year, you know, and then just Sam Darnold, I met him when he was 15. I was working out in the offseason with that high school coach, and he was just happened to be thrown there on the weekend as a kid. And he didn't, he wasn't a freak. He wasn't, I didn't go, ooh, that guy's gonna play in the NFL. I was laughing because he looked just like my brother did at that age. Kind of had some freckles, kind of red hair, kind of dressed scrubby. Like I was laughing, he looked like my brother. And then fast forward, and now he's a neighbor and a, like a brother of mine. But, you know, Mahomes, Cliff Kingsbury was roommates with my brother at the combine, got my number from him and said, I got this thing at Texas Tech. I don't know if he's a baseball player, I don't know if he's a quarterback, but he's incredible. So he sent him out. And so (laughs) now with me, I don't work with everybody year round for their entire career. Some guys, I'm a part of their entire career. Some guys just this phase or early on and then they come back. And so I think the humility part of it is I've got to be okay with, no matter how bad I think I can help this person, they, they have to be, you know, interested in the ways that I can help. And not everybody is. And there's a lot of really talented people in my space now that do train the other guys. There's a lot of people I have not worked with, but I'm also not, you know, I'm doing 2024 planning right now. It's not like I'm writing down 15 NFL names saying, I got to work with this guy. Well, no, sometimes those guys have a program that's working great for them and they should just continue to do that. I mean, if they ever needed help, I'd help them. And so, yeah, it's a lot of referrals. The kid playing in Cincinnati right now, Jake Browning, who just lit it up on Monday night, Joe Burrow's backup. You know, he kind of came to me this offseason. I'd never really worked. I'd never met him before, even though this is his fourth year. But we'll obviously talked to Joe, who's a client. Then he talked to Sam Darnold because they crossed paths and hit me up. And we ended up spending a couple of months together. And, and so it's a lot of that. And also earlier on, I was more into this right now. I, I'm not super interested in having the most famous clients. I like helping the people that I can help the most. And some of those guys are big names and most of them are not. And might be someday, but I think that's kind of the the world I'm in right now that I'm I'm enjoying a lot. And is it the technical parts of playing quarterback? Is it the mental part? I mean, what aspects are the things that you've sort of developed a reputation for helping your clients improve in? Well, with the NFL guys in college, it's pretty specifically fundamental mechanics and really how you move, how you use the ground to move. And it sounds pretty silly, but there's a pyramid in training right now. Okay. There's three levels to it. The top level is position-specific training. So that's a quarterback coach, a hitting coach, a golf coach, tennis, somebody working on your serve. Position-specific and maybe even movement-specific. You might just have a putting, you know, somebody hires to work just on putting. And then the second level is athletic training. So that's speed coach, strength, pliability, plyometrics, even physical therapy. But that's working on your body, how athletic you are. And then the bottom one, which is the biggest one, is the one that everybody skips over in the training world because it's not sexy and cool, is human body movement. How are we aligning? How, do, how does each joint, you know, if you came and watched one of my NFL guys in a two-hour throwing session, we throw like the last 45 minutes. First hour, hour and 15, we're just moving. And we're not running and sprinting and cutting. It's not conditioning. We're learning how to actually put force on the ground correctly to be able to get our hips going. So part of it's walking, walking backwards, 45 degree angle turns, working on external hip rotation because we turn a lot. And so you want to layer, build that foundation of how they actually move hmm. before we start trying to fix something that's not working. Now with the younger guys, I do a thing called the Summit Tour. I do eight stops around the country. I don't really do private lessons with young guys. Pretty much the bulk of my time is consulting for college players, college programs, or NFL players. But I do the Summit Tour. It's a higher price point camp, but it's a transformative weekend. And it's two full days. And I try to help kids build definitions and a pathway towards becoming a triple threat, physically, mentally, and emotionally. 
So on the physical side, there's things we get to. On the mental side, try and introduce them to some processes for how they can learn an offense, how they can better understand defense instead of just teaching them stuff and having them write it down. And then on the emotional side, we talk about confidence. I believe it's a muscle. It's not God-given. It's not hereditary. You didn't earn it. You have to build it like a muscle. And some are starting further away from where they want to get to. And some just need a little tune-up. And I've had guys where one comment can put them over the edge. Now they get it. Or there's people I've worked with for a long period of time on it. But confidence, how we lead, how we communicate, how important it is for a teenage or middle school boy, let's just say, who's playing quarterback to really find his voice, right? Because we can talk all day about confidence, but I believe the root of confidence, like if you go all the way down to the bottom of it, it's actually authenticity. Do you know who you are? Do you know what you believe? Do you love yourself? And so um, that's really, I think, the foundational element of it. And so sometimes it's just asking eager kids a question and then saying, close your notebook, answer that question tonight by yourself. Give yourself an hour. Mm. And so just challenging kids to think about things because they're transitioning, right, from I believe everything my parents tell me to I'm starting to believe what my friends or siblings tell me to now I'm being influenced culturally by whatever they're getting from music to social media to whatever they have exposure to, right? And so then they ultimately form their own opinions. And some of us, become adults and we believe exactly what our parents taught us when we were little. And some of us go the opposite direction and everything in between. And so mm. I'm not telling kids what to believe. I'm giving them the questions that they ought to spend some time sorting through answering themselves. And if they really can't come to a conclusion on it, then yeah, their parents this should be the first person they talk to. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Winning Is Not Everything. Please make sure to like the podcast and subscribe to the podcast so you can immediately get the latest episode. If you have any questions or comments, please visit my website, seankjensen.com and go to the contact page. You can even leave me a voice recording. And of course, I want to thank my presenting sponsor, TeamSnap. Whether you're a coach, administrator, or brand looking to reach the youth sports community, TeamSnap connects the world of youth sports. Visit TeamSnap.com or download the TeamSnap app from your app store. Until next time, I'm Sean Jensen.